you've been with us uh, for the past few weeks, we have been going through encounters with the Lord, encounters with Christ, and just all the various uh, things that the Lord has been doing in people's lives and individuals' lives. And this morning, we're going to be, again, in Mark chapter number 5, and uh, I didn't want to overlook this encounter um, because I, I think it's really amazing. We've, we've looked at uh, a few encounters here um, out of Mark 5. And just what the Lord did uh, through this man's life and how he changed his life. And just what Christ can do uh, when we encounter the Lord. And I find it interesting that everything that takes place through Mark chapter number 5... Because you're going to see that Christ, he comes off the boat. Remember, we looked at that when he was in the boat and they were on a storm. He gets on the boat. He goes to the other side. And they meet this man, the maniac of Gadara. And Christ encounters him. Christ heals the man. And then Jesus gets back on the boat and goes right back over to the other side. And that's where he has the encounter with the woman that had the issue of blood for many, many years. So I think it's really interesting if, uh, what Christ does through this encounter. And I think you'll see how it just plays out uh, through the scriptures here as we look at this. So let's go ahead and we'll begin here in Mark chapter number 5. And look at verse number uh, 1. And we'll be reading through verse number 20. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. If you're a habit of marking things in your Bible, look at the phrases there. It says, out of the tombs, he lived among the tombs, and he was among the tombs. And so Christ here encounters this man that was among the tombs. And you think about that, someone who is in the graveyard, living in the graveyard. And that was this man. Let's continue reading here. Verse number 7 says, "In crying out with a loud voice... He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he says here, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse number 14, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, And in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What an interesting encounter this was. This encounter here is recorded for us here in Mark chapter number 5. And this by far gives us the most detailed information about this encounter of this man who is possessed. And he's living among the tombs and he meets Christ. Matthew chapter 8 verses 28 through 34 and also Luke chapter 8 verses 26 through 29 also record for us this encounter. And it adds a couple more details, but Mark 5 here gives us the most detailed account of this man. Um, In Mark and Luke, um, we find, or excuse me, in Matthew, it tells us that there was actually two men that were living in the tombs and they encountered Christ. Um, And Mark and Luke only record for us one man. I do believe that there were two men, but I believe that one of these men was in far worse shape than the other, um, because I think he was more prominent. He was crying out, cutting himself, and and acting all kinds of crazy, tearing apart chains. And I mean, he was a, definitely a wild man. And uh, we also find in Mark's, or excuse me, in Luke's account, it says that this man wore no clothes. Not in the fact that he was running around naked, but the fact that he had barely on any clothes at all. And uh, you'll see in, in here in Mark, it says that uh, he was then clothed after he had his encounter uh, with Jesus. So Mark's account here pretty much is the fullest encounter, gives us the fullest detail of what had taken place uh, with this man. And I want to show you a few things about this encountering Christ among the tombs. Let's take a look here. First of all, number one, Jesus' encounter with the sinner tells us here in Mark 5, verses 1 through 6, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, notice this, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. You know, I think this encounter really needs to be put into perspective here. Because even though this this man encountered Jesus, we see Jesus actually encountering this man. I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus. He's on the boat. Immediately, right after he steps off the boat... This man is there. He runs up to Jesus. I mean, I don't know if Jesus really had time enough to react to this. Have you ever had those types of encounters in your life? Where something that you didn't expect to happen just happens? I know I have. And here's Christ. He encounters this sinner. He encounters this man. And this man here, it says that he's crying out. And his question here is, 
you know, why is this man like this? Why is he, why is he always bound with chains? And why is, he, why is he in the shape that he is? Why is he crying out and cutting himself and, and making all kinds of a ruckus? The other accounts tell us that this man was so fierce. All of his, all of his, his things that he was going through, his, his, his body and in his mind and in his heart and his soul, the, the war that was raging on in his life, it says that this man was so fierce that he actually would hedge up a way where people couldn't get through. And people wouldn't go that way because the man was so crazy. But Jesus goes to the other side and he encounters this man. We must ask the question, why did Jesus go over there? Why did Jesus purposely get on the boat and go over to that side? Well, we know that because he was going to encounter this man. Now, the disciples didn't know that guy was over there, but Jesus did. And you think about the storm that they were in on the boat there. So they encountered that storm. And when they get over to the other side, they meet this man. You think about that. You think about the storms that we go through in life. And then we meet an encounter. Sometimes God allows us to go through storms in our life because he knows that there's somebody on the other side that needs an encounter. More on that in just a moment. But we must not let this thought escape our minds. Jesus purposely went into the ship to get to the other side because of this man. You know, I often think about that in my own life. He purposely led those other disciples through a storm to get to them. But God's word says that when Jesus steps out of the boat, immediately he encounters this man out of the tombs. Notice this man's condition. It says that he had an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. I don't know about you, but I really don't want to live in a graveyard. I really don't want to live at a funeral home. That's where this man dwelt. That's where this man lived. He lived among the tombs. No one could subdue him. He was crazy. He was a maniac. His life was consumed night and day, the Bible says. What was he doing? He was crying out, cutting himself with stones. Bible says that they would put chains on him and this man would tear apart the chains. Nobody could control this man. He was known for crying and cutting. You know, at first glance, when we think about this man, we would definitely say that this man was a maniac. I mean, how many of us would invite this man over to our house for dinner? We wouldn't, would we? How many of us would have the courage enough to go and speak to a man like this? We would definitely, if we saw this man on the side of the street, we would, if we were driving, we'd definitely take a left-hand turn really quick. We'd be like, don't go that way. This man was a maniac, of course. But people tried to avoid him, but Christ didn't. What makes this encounter so awesome is that Christ went out after him. Christ knew that he was there. You see, when we look at this man described for us, we see a man who was under bondage to evil. He could not control himself. We often think that this man was in a sad, helpless case. But we too, though, may not be possessed with an unclean spirit. 
are or have been under some form of spiritual bondage in our life, whether it be now or whether it be in the past. You see, we don't have to look very far to find some modern form of that in our own lives. The Bible warns us that if we do not have self-control, we will be slaves to what controls us. Could be food, could be lust, could be money, could even be our words. We can find ourselves overwhelmed with the consequences of not having self-control in many areas of our life. Being self-controlled is the very foundation for living a righteous life and selflessness that reflects Jesus Christ and brings glory to God. Let's turn over to the book of James here real quick. James chapter number 3. I want to show you something here. If you know Christ as your Savior, one of the things that we must think about is the fact that the Lord has saved us and the Lord has delivered us from bondage. He's delivered us from whatever things may have, have often, we've often been bound to. And if you know Christ, you don't have to live that way anymore. The Bible tells us here in James chapter number 3, in verse number 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they be so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. God's word is very, very clear that even we can come under the control, come under the possession of things in our life that want to control us. This man had no control over his entire life. He was bound with chains. Nobody could control him. He was cutting himself, crying out. You know, when I think of this man, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 gives us this amazing contrast of, of what we were like before Christ and what we are now in Christ. It's kind of like, uh, how many of you have ever been out to the West before? Driven out to the West? Okay, all right, a few of you. Um, I'm from New Mexico originally, and uh, I lived there uh, since I was 18 years old, grew up out there. And growing up out there, it's pretty natural to have uh, what they call zeroscaping, which is just nothing but rocks instead of grass, okay? So you have rocks, and you have desert plants, and you look outside, and there's not really a bunch of trees around. There's not a lot of greenery, and first time I came out to the east um, and I saw all the greenery, I was like, what is this? This is so weird. And now I've come accustomed to living here. But when I go back to uh, New Mexico, I, I sometimes feel like I'm flying into like a third world country. I'm like, what is, what is this? 
And you've seen, if you've ever been out to the West, you've seen the contrast. As maybe if you were driving across the uh, United States, you see the contrast of how the scenery begins to change. And Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 7, gives us that contrast. It shows us of what we were before Christ and what we are now in Christ. You see, before we were saved, we were spiritually dead, is what Ephesians tells us. Paul says that before we were made alive in Christ, before we were saved, he says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, those who do not know Jesus are completely spiritually dead. No spiritual life in them whatsoever. Basically, they're nothing more but spiritual zombies, really. I mean, they're, yes, they're, they're, they're moving around and they're talking and they're, they're doing things, but they are dead inside without Jesus Christ. They haven't been made spiritually alive on the inside. You see, until we meet Christ, we are all hopelessly and helplessly trapped in spiritual death. See, one who is spiritually dead is unable to understand and appreciate spiritual things. A physically dead person doesn't respond to physical things. If we were to have a, a, a person here that may have passed away, you can maybe ask them, hey, do you want to go someplace? They're not going to respond. They're dead. And you think about people that do not know Christ. They are spiritually dead. They are not going to respond to spiritual things. You see, I know that pretty much sounds kind of weird, but it's true. Even though many people around us seem alive, they are only physically alive. They are only alive physically, but they are not alive spiritually. They are dead. Spiritually dead on the inside. You see, you can't be kind of dead. You are either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. If you're almost saved, you are completely lost. I'll give you a good illustration of this. Jeremy Bentham was a philosopher of the 19th century. He died in 1832. This man had a very rather strange and unusual request. Before he died, he said that he was going to give all of his living, all of his wealth, everything, basically to the University College Hospital in London. But basically only if one condition was met. And that condition was that he requested that in order for them to gain all of this stuff, he asked that his body be completely preserved and put on display at the college. So, acknowledging their wishes, that's exactly what they did. They took his body and they preserved it. And you can still go there today. And you can see the preserved body. They have him in a cabinet. And you can see his preserved body. In 2013, Benjamin was brought to the meeting of the college council where he was listed as present but not voting. And you think about that. That's exactly what we encounter with people that do not know Christ. Yes, they may be alive, but inside they are spiritually dead. 
You see, before Christ, we are spiritually dead, just like this maniac was. He needed a new life. You see, we were never seeking out Christ. It's always Christ who seeks out us. The Bible tells us Luke 19, 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In John 3, 16, 17, many of us know these verses. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, if you are without Christ here this morning, I encourage you to turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ. Trust Jesus. Because inside you are spiritually dead and you need Jesus. You need Christ. You say, but you know, I I do a lot of good things. Those things are not going to help you. You need to be spiritually made alive on the inside. And the only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. He is seeking after you. He wishes to deliver you from your bondage. And if you this morning are under bondage, it could be your words. It could be some action. It could be something that you do. You are under some form of a bondage. You're a Christian and you know Jesus, but you're under bondage Can I tell you that Jesus wishes and wants to set you free from that? He doesn't want you to live that way. He wants to set you free. And in fact, the Bible tells us that whom the Son has set free, you are already free indeed. You do not have to live under spiritual bondage. So you are to live the new life of which he has made you free from sin and death. Jesus encounters this sinner. And he has this encounter with him. He sees his condition. He sees his spiritual state. And he has this encounter with him. He wants to make him well. Look what he says here. Uh, also, secondly, the power of Christ. Mark chapter 5, verses 7 through 13 says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have I to do? What have I you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. What power is on display here? This man runs up to Jesus and cries out with a loud voice. What do you want with me, Jesus? He knows who Jesus is. He knows that he is God in the flesh. He says, what do you want? Did you come here to torment me? Don't torment me. Don't do it. This unclean spirit knows. This unclean spirit knew the power that Jesus had. This unclean spirit knew of the coming fate that that they would encounter, basically. But notice what Christ asked this man. And the man's reply. Look what he says here. He says, he's saying to him, come out of the man. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. In common usage, a legion was, was a military term, and it was used basically here during the Roman time, and it was to refer to how many numbered men were in the army. A legion numbered probably anywhere from about 5,000 people. It could be more, it could be less. We can kind of know about how many demons were in this man because of how many pigs had the demons go into him. It says there were about 2,000. Now, I don't know about you, but one demon is bad enough. But to have 2,000 demons inside of you? We learn about Mary Magdalene. It says that Jesus cast how many demons out of her? Seven, right? This man had at least 2,000 demons in him. No wonder why he was crying out, cutting himself, and, and, and just acting totally crazy. We can see that. Scripture does not say exactly how many demons comprise the legion here within the man, but we can kind of know possibly about 2,000. We see here in Mark chapter 5, verse 13, it says that all the pigs, notice what it says, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. You see, this large number of demons may account for the afflicted man's actions, the way that he was acting, the way things that he was doing. You know, and I think about in our own, our own spiritual lives that, you know, I think that we as believers in Jesus, that sometimes we allow things in our life to control us. And it doesn't have to just be one thing. It could be many things in our life. And when we allow those things to control us, we say things, we do things, we act a certain way because we're allowing those things to control us instead of Jesus Christ. Those things have somewhat, almost in a way, may have become more important to us. You know, I don't know how this man got into this state. Could it have been that this man possibly, maybe at one time had a family? Maybe he had a respectable job. Maybe he still has children. Maybe he was a, a notable man of society. I don't know what happened, but he didn't just wake up one day and have 2,000 demons living inside of him. There was a slow process that took place over time. And eventually he got to the point where he was at, and now he's living in the tombs. Now he's running around with no clothes on. Now he's crying out, cutting himself. Now he can't even be bound with chains. Something happened to this man that got him into this state. And when he encounters the power of Christ, the Bible here tells us that this legion of pit, this legion of demons, this, all these demons come out of this man. There's one other mention of legion in, in the scriptures here. And it tells us in the context of, of, of good angels. It, it tells us in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 51, it says... That Jesus told Peter to put away his sword because the Lord reminded Peter that can I not call down, he says, basically these 12 legions of angels to defend of me? You see, that might total about 60,000 angels. Christ had power to do what he could do. You see, Jesus was making a point to that, rather that it was to remind the terrified disciples that God is always in control of everything. God can do anything. 
And in this case, even a man who has, he has 2,000 demons in him has the power to cast them out. Christ has that power to do those things. And it is with authority. Notice what he says. Come out of the man, Jesus says. Come out of him. And he says that with authority. So what spiritual truths can we learn from this? Well, first of all, that the spiritual realm is very real. We live in a world, a spiritual world that is around us. We live in that. We can't really necessarily see those spiritual things, but it's real. Demon possession, demon oppression, those things are real. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's a real thing. The spiritual realm is real of what we live in. And you know, it's so easy for us to invite those things into our life. And so we have to be very careful. We have to understand that the spiritual realm that we're living in, there's forces, there's evil forces that basically want to take over. So I encourage you, be very careful. Be always on the lookout. Be always on guard of of the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. Secondly, it is the power of Christ that we need in our life. How can we stand against such, such spiritual power? Can you do it on your own? No. You need Christ. You need Christ. If you remember uh, in the books, uh, book of Acts, uh, remember the uh, seven sons of Sceva? Remember they, they go up, they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to cast out demons too. And it says they go up to this man who's possessed and they say, all right, we, we command you in the name of Paul and the name of Jesus, come out of him. And the demons answer back and they say, well, Paul, we know Jesus, we know, but we don't know who you are. And it says that those men jumped on those guys and just tear them apart. We need the power of Christ in our life to overcome spiritual bondage in our lives. So what spiritual bondage are you in? What things have bound you and you cannot control? The Bible tells us that Jesus wants to set you free, but you need his power in your life to do so. Ephesians chapter 6.13 tells us that we are to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. As Christians, we are more than conquerors, the Bible tells us, through Christ in Romans 8.37. Jesus is our commander. He is the one that is in charge. He is the one that gives us the power to do battle with evil spiritual forces. He is the one who dispatched the demons named Legion with just a word. Notice the text here. He says this. He says, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him. These these demons are begging him. They say not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him. They begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Now notice as it says, so he gave them permission. Go. 
With just a word, Jesus has the power and the authority to just say, go. And those demons are gone. We must remember it is the power of Christ that is working in us. God sometimes purposely leads us through storms in life so that we might see the power of Christ at work in others' lives. Think of here again, the disciples, they're on the boat with Jesus. They get in the boat. It says they encounter that storm immediately. That that storm arises. The boat's taking on water. They're saying, we're going to die. We're going to perish. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? He gets up. He rebukes rebukes the wind. The storm ceases. They get right over to the other side. Jesus steps off the boat and they encounter this man that has these demons. Now think about this. The disciples there on the boat marveled and they said, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And now they get off the boat and here's this man with all these demons. And Jesus sends these demons out of this man. Now it doesn't record for us saying that the disciples were marveled at this. But I think there was a spiritual lesson that they learned from all of that. That the storm that Christ brought them through in that boat, they saw another man that was in a storm. They saw another man whose life was, I mean, pretty messed up. They had Jesus with them. This man had been crying and cutting himself day and night for a long time. He didn't have Jesus with him. And Christ brought them through that storm so that they might see the power of Christ at work in other people's lives. I cannot tell you how many times that God has brought me through storms in my own personal life so that the power of Christ may be put on display in other people's lives. So if you are on that boat right now and you're going through the storm, guess what? There's going to come a time when you're going to get off the boat and you're going to see the power of Christ be at work in somebody else's life. And that is such a wonderful thing to see what Christ does through their life because Christ brought you through that storm as well. And so the power of Christ is at work in this man's life. Their trial, this, their, the disciples' trial was pretty insignificant compared to this man's. I want to show you a third thing here. The change that Jesus makes. Mark chapter 5 verse 14 through 20 says, The herdsmen fled and told it. Notice it says they told it in the city and in the country. People came to see what was in, uh, what was that had happened. They came to, to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man. The one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. When I think of this man and the condition that he was in and how Jesus changed his life, I can't help but think of my own life. I can't help but think of of what Jesus had done in my life and how he changed my life. Now, did I have 2,000 demons in me? No. My parents probably thought I did, but the fact was that Jesus changed my life. And if you know Christ as your Savior, he has changed your life as well. And the power of a changed life has significant weight of what Jesus has done for us. I mean, can you imagine? Here's all these people, because look what it says. It says the herdsmen fled. I mean, here's these guys. Jesus just basically put them out of business. But here's these guys. They have all these pigs. The pigs run violently down into the hill, and they drown. I mean, you know that they're eyewitnesses of this. They're seeing what's going on. And it says that they told it in the city and in the country. So here they go. They're going, this is weird. I have never seen something like this. And what do they do? They leave and they go to the country and they begin to tell what had happened. And do you remember that guy? Do you remember? We put chains on him. We, we locked him up. We, we bound him tight. Remember? And he was always doing this and cutting himself. Remember that guy? Yeah. You won't believe what happened. You got to come see this for yourself. And the people come. They come to Jesus. They see this man. And notice what it says here. It says the man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What an encounter that this man had. He was no longer the same anymore. I mean, can you imagine what that might have looked like? I mean, just picture it in your mind. The man that was crying and cutting himself. And now the demons come out of him. And instead of running around, he's sitting. He gets clothes back on himself. I mean, what a difference that this man had in his life now. And the people coming, they start coming and they go, are you sure that's the right guy? This guy's got clothes on now. Are you sure that's him? Yeah, it is. Look, 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 it's, it's him. I know it's him. There was a change that was brought about in this man's life. Can I tell you, when people encounter Christ, when people encounter Christ, that they are changed. When they are changed by encountering Christ, it affects those around them. If you have encountered Christ in your life, it should affect those that are around you. Because it made a change. It made a difference in your life. It's unnatural. It's supernatural. It's power that people are not accustomed to experiencing. Two requests that are made here. Notice what it says, that the herdsmen begged Jesus to depart. You think that they would have been happy, right? I mean, this maniac that's living in the tombs, you would think that they would have been happy that Jesus cured this man. But they weren't. They said, get out of here. 
Please leave. We don't want you. We don't want Jesus. We don't want you. Get out of here. And secondly, notice what it says here. It says that the man who was demon-possessed asked to be with Jesus. He says that he begged him that he might be with him. Jesus knows that this man's story has more power to it than just being with Christ. I mean, the disciples, they were with Christ, but Jesus knows that this man had such a story to tell, that this man had such an ability to to tell this story, to proclaim it and tell other people what Christ had done for him. You know what the world needs? The world does need Jesus Christ. But the world needs to see, the world needs to hear your story of how Christ has changed your life. When was the last time you have told your story to somebody of how Christ changed your life? When was the last time you shared with somebody about what Christ had did for you? When was the last time that you took some time and maybe somebody that's going through a difficulty and and you shared with them what Christ had done for you? You see, that's where the power is. It's sharing Christ, sharing what Christ has done. For us, Jesus wants us to be witnesses for him. You must first be a witness before you can be a witness. We need to share our story. This man shared his story. Jesus made a change in his life. Do you need a change this morning? Do you need to encounter Christ? Are you under some form of spiritual bondage in your life? Christ desperately wants to help you. Christ desperately wants to give you the victory in your life that you so desperately need. But you have to come to Christ. You have to encounter Christ. And he's willing to do that. Let's pray together.